From WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University, I'm Byron Williams, and this is The Public Morality. Today, on The Public Morality, Amy Siskin, author of the best-selling new book, The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year, joins me to discuss the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and the impact women are having on the midterm race. That's coming up on The Public Morality. Welcome to The Public Morality. In the latest episode of You Won't Believe This, the unbelievable in public discourse is increasingly believable. In fact, one could argue it is becoming a hallmark. Not that long ago, Judge Brett Kavanaugh seemed to be sailing through his Supreme Court nomination hearings to replace retired Justice Anthony Kennedy. But as the hearings concluded, scandal infiltrated the process. At the time of this broadcast, two women, Stanford professor Christine Blasey Ford, accused Judge Kavanaugh of sexual assault while in high school. And Deborah Ramirez, a classmate of Kavanaugh at Yale, recently made similar accusations in an article in The New Yorker. As the Senate prepares for testimony by Blasey Ford, what does this mean for the Kavanaugh nomination, and how might it impact the 2018 midterm elections? Joining me to discuss this is Amy Siskin. Siskin is the best-selling author of the new book, The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year. Amy Siskin, welcome to The Public Morality. Thank you for having me. I wanted to begin this conversation by having you first respond to several of the most common retorts that are thrown out, not just against uh, Dr. Blasey Ford and uh, Deborah Ramirez, but but just to women in general whenever they make such accusations. And, and, And the first one being, if it was true, why did they wait so long to say something? How do you respond to that? You know, the the statistics show that most women who report, 99% of women who report, don't get justice. So there's you know, real incentives to not come forward with your story. There's, unfortunately, with our culture, a lot of public shaming, victim blaming, um, questioning of ruining the man's life, et cetera, et cetera. So in actuality, very few women do come forward after incidents, um, and the road to come forward is still state by state. It's different, but it is not a, a, a friendly response for for women that do choose to have their stories told. Uh, and often, again, in addition to what they face in their communities, there's shaming in their families, there's shaming from their friends. Uh, So we we have a long ways to go. The Me Too movement has dramatically changed the perception, and you can see that with how things are being handled with Dr. Ford, that a lot of the old trial balloons that used to be trotted out are are being shot down. But we still have a long ways to go as a country, as you can see from the pushback of the the white men of the Republican Party. (laughs) Uh, Now, the second question is, well, this is simply he said, she said, and since there's no one to substantiate these claims, the accusations is tantamount to there's no there there. 
Yeah, and the interesting thing is there actually is someone to substantiate those claims who has escaped where he lived and was in hiding until last night. Did they just when find the Washington it? Post found him, which right. is Mark Judge, who was, according to Dr. Ford, in the room, which is really a rare occurrence when there is an assault that there's multiple people beyond the he said, she said. So the fact that the Republicans won't allow Mark Judge or haven't subpoenaed Mark Judge to appear is troubling. Because there, you know, that that would add more context to the story and potentially corroborate, uh, you know, what Dr. Ford is saying. Additionally, you know, the notion of of he said she said we're we're not entering a court of law here. This is a man who wants to be on the highest court in our country uh, for a lifetime appointment, and he seems to have a pattern of demeaning women. If you look at the examples of what he chose to affiliate himself with in college, a fraternity that decades later would be the one that drove the whole campus sexual assault work that the Obama administration did when they walked around campus yelling, no means yes, yes means anal. That was DKE, his fraternity, which has had the same um, reputation in the time, in the decades since he's been there. And he was in another club that was known, you know, affectionately as, excuse my French, tit and clit, which was uh, the club for guys to meet co-eds, as, as we would nicely say. His yearbook quotes are offensive, suggesting all sorts of sexual exploitations. I mean, I my son graduated high school last year. His yearbook quote is by Winston Churchill. Uh, you know, there's again, I, I go back to this is nine individuals on the Supreme Court that are supposed to be highly esteemed, you know, in addition to being intellectually bright. They're supposed to be pretty flawless kind of people, and this this man, you know, I'm, I'm not judging him as a person if he wanted to go about his life. Listen, we all can do whatever we want in college and high school. It's a question of whether he's the person that should be at our highest court making decisions that impact women. Uh, you mentioned your son. Um quoting um his quote was from churchill uh as you were giving your last answer i was thinking to myself uh in the churchillian style not exactly our finest hour right now would that would that be fair just in general as a, as a nation uh, i i'm disappointed that after all that we've had with this me too movement that we still are that this guy is even still out there i think it's a reflection of this dichotomy of the me too movement and all its impact and it's being able to in so many ways defend this um accuser and there'll be others there's already a second avenatti potentially is a third to you know hit away some of the most offensive things they're throwing at her but on the other hand you have the optics of 11 white men you know two of whom were on the um, Senate Judiciary Committee, when Anita Hill testified, uh, you know, of Orrin Hatch saying she's mixed up. Uh, you have this hyper-masculine version of, you know, what Trump represents, which is you know, the rights of the accused, which has been um, part of the hallmark of his administration and what Secretary DeVos has done with the Department of Education on campus sexual assault. The, you know the men rights advocates thing. So we re we have a real dichotomy here, and I'm I'm in many ways shocked that he's still the nominee. But it's very clear that they're going down the path that Trump did with the Access Hollywood tapes. They're going to try to just you know push him through and just deny, deny, deny. Even as the facts come out, you know it it just 
the story doesn't make sense. What he said last night on Fox News about, you know, I don't really care if he was a virgin or not, but, but yeah, you know, he tries to make himself as the studious young man who stayed out of trouble. Just doesn't seem to add up with everything else that's coming out. Uh, just just uh, a point, point of fact, uh, I just want to say that we're talking about sexual harassment, which has absolutely to do with whether or not one was actually a virgin. Is that, right. Okay, okay I just want to be clear about that. Uh, yeah, you can sexually harass a woman. You can, as the allegations are at Yale, excuse me for using the word on your show, but it's, you know, you know stick your penis in her face without having intercourse with her. And, you know, it's, it's still, you can still do things that are improper um and and again i go back to this isn't we're not a, a trial in in maryland where this is a man being considered for the highest seat in our country and on, on the highest court in our country and a lot of laws that will impact women and he clearly has a very um troubling past as relates to women uh one other one other uh uh for lack of a better word, canard that is thrown up. My word's not yours. Uh, and you touched on it earlier, and I'd like to have you expand on it. You talked about, you know, in this case, the, the narrative goes, you know, why would we risk ruining someone's life for, for something they did as a teenager? Oh, my goodness. Which is a response that sort of struck me that I believe Dr. Blasey Ford's statement, but he was a kid. Oh, I know, and, and you read... The Washington Post has done some pretty thorough reporting of how it's impacted her life, how she moved to California, considered moving out of the country. Uh, you know, and there's potentially other women that are going to come forward that say how it impacts their life. And again, that goes down to his fitness and what's going on in our culture that the women's lives don't matter. It's the same issue you can get back to with Roe v. Wade. Who cares about the woman carrying the fetus or whatever you want to define it as? It's as if women are invisible and don't exist. All we care about is, you know, was he a virgin? Was he, you know, it's sort of everything is back at him and the man. Uh, you know, again, this pattern, which is troubling that we're still having this in 2018. And I think, again, it's going to be a, a turning point, just as Anita Hill was for our country. You know, I was recently having a conversation uh, with a friend of mine who happened to be a white male, and um, he was talking about he's raising the question about it being such a long time ago. And I said to him, I said, well, if he was 17, a high school senior, and he participated in a lynching, would that be okay? And he immediately said, well, of course not. So I guess my, my question to yeah. you is, is the Me Too movement moving us in a direction to where at one time attending a lynching would, would not get you um, thrown out? But, but now it obviously would. So is the Me Too movement moving us, albeit in a glacial pace, to that direction to so where you commit this assault that is just no longer acceptable. Yeah, and there's so many reasons why women choose not to come out, and you can see what she's going through. Her, she's in hiding. Her children are, you know, trying to live their lives, and she's had to hire security protection. She's gotten death threats. She's been hacked. Uh, anybody who comes forward... Uh, has some element of that. There's a huge amount of misogyny in our country. Uh, but we, I think as a culture, I mean, if you look at what's happening with the Catholic Church and priests with, you know, young boys who had been sexually assaulted when they were, you know, decades ago, those cases are moving forward. Uh, you know, I, I think it's sort of irrelevant at what point it happened. 
Um, the point is we're now, you know, talking about a man who wants to be on our Supreme Court. And if these things did happen, uh, and again, there's, I keep going back to there's a cooperating witness. Why isn't the FBI out investigating the claims of Dr. Ford, of Ramirez, who apparently the story that the New Yorker reported came about because there was an email chain among Yale students when Kavanaugh's name was first put up about this very story. So it's easy for the FBI to find all the people on the email chain and go back to them and say, did this indeed happen? These are all very traceable things. The fact that we're not following through is very troubling to me. You, you mentioned the, F, the FBI. Explain um, for our listeners, why was the request uh, initially by uh, Dr. Blasey Ford through her attorney that the FBI first conducted an investigation before she appeared? Why was that important? You know, and the interesting thing, and it's lie number 5,000, however many, for Trump. Trump said the FBI doesn't do these kind of things. The FBI absolutely does do these kind of things and did with Anita Hill. The FBI is, they're obviously trained to do something like this, but they're an impartial observer of fact-gathering. As we stand now, it's Grassley's committee that is supposedly doing interviews of others that are related to this case, which means, you know, there's a very partisan bias related to that. The FBI could conduct interviews, could bring facts to the table in addition to two people that are going to testify. They could interview Mark Judge. They could interview all the other Yale students on the email chain with Dr. Ramirez, excuse me, with, with, with Ramirez. Um, those are the kind of things that in normal course we would expect. That would be typical. So this is atypical that we are not having those kinds of investigations happen ahead of a potential hearing. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Amy Siskin, author of The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year. And we're discussing what has become the ongoing saga of the Supreme Court hearings of nominee Brett Kavanaugh, uh, who now faces multiple accusations of sexual harassment. Uh, Amy, any thoughts about the second accuser, Debbie Ramirez, who recently told the New York Magazine uh, that she also accused Judge Kavanaugh uh, of sexual harassment while they were classmates at Yale? And, and in your answer, could you also include your thoughts why she's not being asked to testify? Yeah, I, you know, it's unclear to me if she has asked to testify. I, I'm, I'm sort of waiting for that part of the story to unfold, but it's strange that she hasn't been called in, and it's strange that you know, Avenatti has been public you know, on, on several networks saying that he is a client and showing publicly the email exchange he's had with um, you know, folks that represent the Senate Judiciary Committee, why his client also isn't being called in to testify. So I think what they're trying to do, listen, if, if Mitch McConnell had the votes, we would already be voting today. They don't have the votes. But what they're trying to do is ram this through and have it amount to a he said, she said, although he already said last night on Fox News. Uh, but they're trying to minimize the damage and uh, it's just, again, we're going to have to see. This is playing out at, at warp speed, and I feel like every couple of hours there's new announcements. But we're going to have to see if these other alleged victims have a chance 
to tell their story, and they they very well should. And again, the FBI should be investigating. They should be speaking to Debbie Ramirez and all the classmates that are on that email chain. It's it again. This is the fact that it's not happening, and they're trying to push it through, is alarming. And uh, you know, it's not for the good of our country or our judicial system or for the standing of what the what the Supreme Court stands for. I mean, I thought it was interesting yesterday. Yale Law School basically shut down. 30 professors canceled class. Two-thirds of their students were either protesting at uh, Washington, D.C. or back on campus. That's his alma mater. <laughs> you know, when your law school shuts down because they're protesting you, that, that says something. Indeed. Um, you know, in recent years, uh, the Supreme Court nomination process, my words, has been a perfunctory circus where, yeah. you, have, where you have well-prepped Supreme Court nominees make the obligatory pe- uh, appearance before the Senate. Uh, they say absolutely nothing, especially as it relates to, to Roe v. Wade or the Second Amendment. In your view, Amy, is there anything prohibiting this latest round in the Kavanaugh hearings to not fall into that circus atmosphere? It's just so much worse. I mean, listen, he's another, excuse me, and I'm just going to compare them. He went to the same prep school as Gorsuch. He's another white man with similarly conservative beliefs. So this is, you know, Gorsuch made it through. Let's not forget the Republicans control the Senate. They don't need a single Democratic vote. (laughs) They have a good candidate. They can just push him or her through. This is a flawed candidate. He has some serious allegations against him. Uh, You know, I, I, I... even before the allegations, then you know the uh, you this man has a pattern relating to women that is just not sufficient, just not okay for the highest office. Put it that way. I mean, it's just thing after thing that comes out as relates to his behavior in high school and college, and then you know law school. A couple of professors telling students he likes you know people that have a woman that have a certain look to clerk for him. You know, there's just something not right here. And I, I, anytime that people throw out the fact that they're targeting him in a partisan way, I just point to Gorsuch and I point to the fact that, uh, yeah, they could push him through. <laughs> they don't need any Democrats. And the fact that even, you know, before we got to these allegations, he has a whole slew of troubling things relating to the fact of not turning over documents, potentially lying under oath, uh, in past confirmation hearings and in this confirmation hearing. I know that's not what we're talking about today, but this is a no. very flawed candidate. No. Um, let's, let's, um, what about the impact? We, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but the, the impact of the, of, of the Me Too movement in that, do you, if we juxtapose what we had in 1991 with the Clarence Thomas hearings and Anita Hill, do you see the Me Too movement having some sort of impact to where the the demeanor of the senators will change, especially as it relates to uh, Dr. Blasey Ford? You know, that's the shocking thing to me, that how far forward we've come in some ways, but then in other ways that we haven't, that Orrin Hatch, who was involved in both, again, first thing that he said last Monday was she's mixed up. I feel like half of the country has moved forward you know, you look at the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee, you have four women, you have people of color. The Republicans have not moved forward. They are exactly where they were, 11 white men in 1991. And their mindset is exactly the same, which is why, and, and I find this hypocritical and cowardly, 
they're trying to not even question Dr. Blasey Ford. They want to bring in a, a woman to be the, you know, the the person that questions her in these hearings. How cowardly! You know, what does that say about the whole process as well? Um, but yeah, so I I think we're at that point of you know inflection. Part of what Trump has done is is create an environment that drove to the Me Too movement, the outrage, and I think you're going to see that at the polls. But then you have this other part of our country that is represented by Trump and largely white men who you know, are, are, again, like what, the rights of the accused. What are we doing to his life? It, it, we're, you know, it's very much a dichotomy. And you can see it in the polling as well. There was a poll this last weekend from, I believe it's the Washington Post, that showed that women prefer Democrats in midterms by 25 points yeah. and men prefer GOP by three points. So it's a 28-point gender gap, yeah. which is historical. It was near, I saw that poll. It was near, I think it was, the actual number was 58% of women. Wanted. I mean, it's like it's a really big, staggering number. Uh, you, you, you mentioned them bringing, and I don't want to see if I understand your last part of your last answer. You mentioned uh, they wanting to bring a woman on to interview Dr. Blasey Ford. Yes. If I understand what you just said, that would be someone who does not have a vote on the Senate Judiciary Committee. But that would be unprecedented, would it not? It would be, yeah, it would be a prosecutor, and it would be unprecedented, and it's because they're too cowardly, and they know it's going to hurt them the way it's going to look, because their mindset is their mindset. Their mindset is the same as it was in 1991. Uh, and so they'll bring on an attack dog that will be able to temper it properly, but somebody who does this, who would, you know, does this as a, as for a living, as opposed to this is supposed to be a Senate hearing where these are people that are actually going to vote and decide whether it goes to the full Senate. So it's their responsibility to be interviewing her. If they're backwards and that shows on public TV, that's their problem. <laughs> they are the ones, you know, in, in charge of the Senate Judiciary Committee. You can't not show up to your own hearing any more than somebody could step in and say, hi, I'm here to represent Dr. Ford. Would that be okay? I mean, it's just, it's just incredible to me. Well, the, the way I heard the way that I heard the hearings described um, at, at my cigar lounge the other day, and I thought it was perfect, um, this older gentleman, he said, this is not a court of law. This is a job interview. So if this was a job interview, would he be hired? I, I, just, I, I just thought the guy summed it up perfectly. Yeah, and Anita Hill said something similar last week in her op-ed where she talked about that fact that this is not a criminal. You know, this is, this is for him to prove himself to the American people, and he needs to be flawless. And it, it's even his appearance last night on Fox News, which I guess is what we're going to hear more of before he goes under questioning, left a lot of holes open, uh, you know, that really seem to conflict with what we are seeing from his own record. So I thought that was a mistake last night for him to go on Fox News. I, I think he left, you know, for, for somebody who's a good prosecutor like a Kamala Harris, he left her a lot of openings to question him on things that he said that seemed to conflict with the public record of his time in high school and college. But if we get to the hearings, you know, I think it's still a question mark. We'll have to see what happens in the next couple of days. This is a meteor pace moving story at this point. No, we, and we certainly can't dismiss the, the politics of this. And, and obviously, uh, Republicans would like to get Judge Kavanaugh 
confirmed before the midterm so they can take it back to their constituents. I, 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 can, I would suspect Democrats would like to derail it, if possible, for similar reasons. But putting on your political prognosticator hat, given only what we know right now, which w- will change after this interview concludes, obviously. Right. L- let's assume Judge Kavanaugh momentarily is confirmed. How, in your view, would that impact the midterm elections? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I, I think you've seen the polls shift in the last few weeks to the point where, uh, you know, and then helped by individual candidates, like what, what's happening with the gentleman running against Heidkamp and his insensitive remarks in, in North Dakota over the weekend. There's very little doubt that the Democrats will take the House and maybe by a large margin. There's several individual candidates that are also imploding, that, and that continues on, on the Republican side in, in the recent weeks. But I think there's a real chance that the Democrats could take the House and a greater chance if the Republicans continue to flub up what's happening. They're doing damage every day. This continues. You know, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, the damage will be that much more severe. But they're already doing damage every day that, you know, that Trump insults the victim, every day that um, McConnell says we're going to jam this through or whatever, plow this through and, and – Lindsey Graham gets on TV and says he's already made up his mind. Those are all damaging things. And so, you know, it becomes an element of there's a real path to this confirmation not happening. They don't have time ahead of the midterms realistically to put forward another candidate. And so do we have karma come back and have Trump or whoever, you know, who knows if Trump lasts till 2020, who's ever in charge in the White House with Democrats holding the Senate? and not wanting to put through another nominee, just as was done to Obama. I think there is a very good chance of that happening. And these are the dangers of breaking precedents, which McConnell has done uh, before Trump took office and then done even more so since he took office, which is why we're here. Why, you know, we need, instead of needing 60 votes, we need 50 votes. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, Live by the sword, die by the sword. That's it's going to come back and bite them in this particular case. I, I personally do not believe Kavanaugh will be confirmed. I, I think he, there's more information that's going to come out. I think he'll end up withdrawing. I'm not sure we'll have these hearings. And you're right, we could hang up, and there could be uh, something that will come out that will make me right or wrong. But I, I think they just know there's it's it's not a win lose for Republicans. It's lose lose, and how much they lose by the longer this process continues. I, I did know because I actually, I actually researched it over the weekend. They confirmed Roberts got confirmed in 19 days. That's like the record. Mm-hmm. So, with, so that they might try to do something like that. Is that? Uh, yeah, it's possible. I, uh, you know, again, the longer this pulls out, and and they have other business like our budget is due to be renewed <laughs> before. Yeah, there's other work to be done by the Senate. It, you know, it, it it's possible in when Roberts was confirmed, times were different. But yeah, you know, it's it, it's hard to see it happening the longer this plays out. It's yeah. I mean, there's definitely a path to unless they can find somebody who's more moderate that would get every single Republican vote without needing the Democrats. They could well be stuck. Nineteen ninety two was dubbed um, year of the woman on the heels of the uh, Clarence Thomas Anita Hill hearings. Uh, well, you saw a number of women first time elected to uh, Congress, but in particular the Senate. I believe 
there was no one on the Senate Judiciary Com- uh, Committee at that time was, was a woman. Correct. All and, white men. All, and so do you foresee something similar happening in these midterm elections, regardless of the outcome of um, Judge Kavanaugh? Yeah, so in 1992, 24 additional women came into the Congress. Um, as we stand today, there are hundreds of women running, and conceivably we could see an additional 30 to 40 added on the Democrat side. All on the Democrat side, the Republican side, we're actually probably going to lose women um, in, in the House. So, and yeah, well, no, she actually, yeah, well, in the House. Um, so, I. I, I do believe that this is record not only for women in, in my weekly list last week. There's a record number of LGBTQ individuals running. 200 are on the ballot, um, even after primaries. Or and again, largely on the Democratic side. So I think there's a push towards diversity and having our government look more like we look. But again, only for half. Of only for one party. The other party is moving in the opposite direction. Uh, if Judge Kavanaugh were confirmed, uh, do you worry about the prospects of Roe v. Wade? Absolutely. I, I worry. I'm, I'm gay. I worry about gay marriage being taken away. His, you know, He's had some troubling statements on that as well. I worry about affirmative action. I worry about labor rights. It's all very real. You know, we're caught up in the moment on this, but him being on that court um, would would lead to fundamental change in our country in very dangerous ways. That's you know, in addition to everything else we're talking about and his clear, you know, the clear issues that we have with him and as relates to his view on women. Yes, he's got a very troubling track record in terms of honesty, in terms of his rulings, and yes, we should be worried on many things that we value. Uh, finally, before, before, we, before we let you go, because you have a book out, I would be remiss if I did not ask you to discuss the list. There might be five people listening to my show who's never heard of the list. So give us, <laughs> so give us a synopsis of the list. And, for, and, uh, and because our, the podcast version of The Public Morality is international, are you appearing anywhere um, that people might uh, get to see you? Oh, that's, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. So that right after the election, I started to notice things that were not normal to democracy or to being a typical Democrat or Republican and Trump. So I started keeping a list in November 2016 of things that were not normal. And the first week has nine items. Currently, the list we're on week 97 has 170 items a week that are not normal. So I'm basically tracking our slow demise into authoritarianism, which is happening before our eyes. And as relates to what we're talking about, some of the norms that have have been bent under Trump relating to the judicial process that will be with us long after, those are examples of things that, you know, that were norms in the past that are being undone. So the list that I keep, and it has actually been selling really well overseas, I think, because they have a more historical perspective than those of us in our young country of the rise of authoritarians and what it feels like. For us, it's you know our first time experience, experiencing this, the loss of norms, the attacks on our press and our institutions, 
um, that lead us to a point where we are that somebody like a Kavanaugh can even still be in in the race for consideration. So my list continues, and it gets more alarming, but it's sort of a trail map for us to follow back to normalcy. And the, the website is theweeklylist.org, and the book is The List. Uh, you might want to revise that title to The List First Edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been, I've, I've been talking about that with my agent. It, it, the List Volume 2 would be 1,200 pages. <laughs> so I, I, what we're going to do is wait until he's out of power and then bind the rest of the volumes. And part of the importance of binding them was disappearing information, the loss of net neutrality, um, you know, access to information being more difficult under this regime very purposefully, which you see in the rise of authoritarianism. Um, and I, just as a side note, I also do a weekly podcast called the Weekly List Podcast, which summarizes the week's event for people who are too busy to need to keep up with this craziness we live in. So those are all on the on the weekly list website, theweeklylist.org. Well, well uh, as as a proud owner of the list, and so if we meet face to face, you have to sign my copy. But, <laughs> I would love to. But as a proud owner of the list, you no, know, actually, one of the things that came to my mind was there was no list of the infractions in Vietnam. So we repeated many of those in Iraq, yes. and so I, I I see you providing sort of this groundwork for what we should have done with with other uh, past um, casualties, if you would. Yeah, yeah. And there's some similar things that were done. Like there's a, a, his name is escaping me, but a a diplomat that was in Germany at at the time of Hitler's uprising, a U.S. diplomat that wrote letters, and that's been captured as a book. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is the first draft of history that we're going to look at and say, oh my goodness, I forgot about the, all, you know, the, um, Bowling Green massacre or the Swedish terrorist incident or all the other conspiracy (laughs) theories that have been thrown our way as we develop this alternative reality under Trump or the alternative truth or truth is no longer truth. Uh, so yes, this will be, you know, cut and dry things that we can, Trace our way back to normalcy. So you, you you don't have a mysterious figure on the grassy knoll just to prove who <laughs> someone else shot JFK or you know, this is just the facts, right? Just the facts and uh, reporting of those conspiracy theories. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very cut and dry facts, but it, it's you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and are you appearing anywhere? Are you doing any book signings or anything? Yeah, I have a few more appearances before the midterms. I'll actually be on in Seattle at the Riveter this coming Thursday. I'll be at the Boston Book Fest with Tim Snyder and Stephen Greenblatt on October 13th at Mount Holyoke, October 23rd uh, at Mark Twain's Museum on November 1st. And one more, I'm forgetting, the, it, for people in Westchester County, I'll be at the Barnes & Noble here October 2nd. So those are my events before midterms, and I've been traveling since the book came out in late March. So I'm, then I'm going to take a break. <laughs> I am exhausted. I'm going to get us through midterms, talking about the risks to our democracy, and then um, dial it back a bit and try to catch my breath. Well, I, I think um, we, have, you and I have talked about having you on since – we launched this show, which is now four years, if you can believe that. Wow. How, how things fine. But we finally got you on. Uh, Amy Siskin, thank you so much for joining us today on The Public Morality. Thank you so much for having me. 
That was author Amy Siskin. Stay tuned for my closing remarks. Welcome back. Because the Kavanaugh hearings have garnered so much of the nation's recent attention span, we're going to play a 1991 segment from Washington Weekend Review about the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings. Gloria Borger is answering questions from hosts Paul Duke, Michelle Martin, Thomas Friedman, and Charlie McDowell. Here's how the chattering class talked about sexual harassment, a Supreme Court nominee, in the Senate Judiciary Committee 27 years ago. Good evening, a week of great drama, riveting testimony, and raw political battling in the Capitol Hill fight over the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court nomination. Professor Anita Hill has candidly and explicitly told her story of being sexually harassed by Thomas while holding down two government jobs. Thomas has eloquently denied the allegation, saying it's just not true. The Thomas battle and the Senate's handling of it have turned up the spotlight on Congress and the public anger being expressed against some of its practices. This was the day, I think, Gloria, when all America had its television sets tuned to the U.S. Senate. Paul, this was really a spectacle like uh, nothing I've ever really seen in, in my career in, in covering the Congress. And what's really so astonishing about it is how quickly we all got to the Senate caucus room uh, today. Just one week ago, at about this time, we all figured that Clarence Thomas was a shoe-in for confirmation in the Supreme Court. The last vote count set it at about 60 votes, and there wasn't going to be a problem. And then, and I think we all know what happened, some news leaked, some politically timed news, people would say, leaked to some reporters over the weekend detailing Anita Hill's allegations that she had been sexually harassed by Thomas while she was his employee at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. After that happened, it seemed as if the Senate was going to implode. All of a sudden, the country became outraged. Women were calling in, clogging the switchboards. How could you guys in the Senate have kept this thing quiet? Worse, they had a vote that they had scheduled for this past Tuesday afternoon, 6 o'clock. The rules said they had to have this vote, and they just didn't know how to get out of it. The Judiciary Committee Chairman Joe Biden found himself on the defensive saying that he had kept this thing secret because that's the way Ms. Hill wanted it, and that's what he did. Finally, the Senate leaders conferred. They decided that Clarence Thomas had lost too many votes. They put it off, and they scheduled this hearing for today. And what can I say about today? It was a tragedy, as everybody has said, in the Senate caucus room. We saw a Supreme Court nominee testify uh, for the first time I've ever heard it, telling senators, you know, I don't really care anymore whether I get this job. It's just not worth it, the pain that I've been through. And then we saw Anita Hill come up and graphically detail these allegations that made everybody sitting at that dais, all her male judges, cringe, and everybody sitting in the room and in the country watching on television really quite uncomfortable. And now we just don't know what the outcome is, and uh, we're going to have to wait for the verdict. Ms. Hill was a careful and composed and poised witness. 
And some of the Republican senators made repeated attempts uh, to, to maybe shake her a little bit, to, to try to discredit her story, but she didn't appear to budge very much. She didn't appear to budge. I think uh, senators were trying, uh, Republican senators, or particularly uh, Arlen Specter of Pennsylvania, who acted as the chief Republican inquisitor, were trying to say, look, there seems to be some problems with your story. It's 10 years old, for heaven's sake. Why didn't you confront uh, Mr. Thomas, at the, uh, Judge Thomas, at the time? Why didn't you tell him how upset you were uh, if he tried to ask you out and you turned him down? Tell him to go leave you alone. And, and her answer was something that, that a lot of men, I think, in the country had some difficulty understanding, and that was, you know, I was afraid. I should have done it. She said at one point, I'm embarrassed I didn't bring a charge against him, but I was 25 years old. I was worried I wasn't going to find another job. Gloria, I'm not sure men, a lot of us, will ever really understand how, if such dirty dog things happen, you, you continue to follow. But one thing you could sense, and maybe it's the same thing, and I saw a lot of men watch, and I went out of my way to go find them, they were profoundly affected by that woman. They sat and nodded, and they heard her. Well, uh, and that—that—that's—I've never seen that happen. I've never seen a witness capture the kind of credibility that she seemed to have with everybody watching. Well, that leads me to a question, Gloria. Do you think that there are any questions that remain about her testimony, or do you think it's a matter of interpretation? I think right now uh, we still are going to hear again uh, from uh, Judge Thomas, but I think it is going to be a matter of interpretation. I think right now the public and the senators were hearing two very credible witnesses, both of them obviously pained by having to do this publicly. And I, somebody's got to be lying or shading the truth or not remembering. And I think it's going to be very difficult decisions for senators to make if it comes to that, if it does come to a vote on the floor. But, and I'm not sure what we're going to learn that's going to be really new. But the word in the corridors outside the hearing room today was that Clarence Thomas had been damaged by her testimony. I mean, she gave some of the most explicit testimony we've ever heard on Capitol Hill about the sexual practices of, of, of an individual. At least she made these accusations against uh, Judge Thomas. And I think Clarence Thomas is going to have to answer those questions. The questions are going to be put to him. Did you talk to her about pornographic material in very graphic ways after she refused to date you? And he's going to have to answer those questions, but judging from his earlier testimony, I think he's going to deny it. Gloria, these hearings were chaired by Senator Joe Biden. He seemed to be walking on eggshells throughout these uh, uh, discussions this morning, bending over backwards, right. clearly to be solicitous to her and to women. How do you think he emerged from today's discussions? Well, let's face it, it's a very difficult situation for these uh, people sitting on the panel in judgment of both of these people. Biden in particular came at this having been criticized, as I said before, because he sat on this saying he did it to protect her confidentiality. The women of the country, maybe even the world eventually, were watching this. So he was walking on eggshells. He had to be very fair to her. I think he went out of his way to try and make her uh, as comfortable as he possibly could. Uh, some Republicans, I think, thought that he was going too much out of his way uh, to make her comfortable. But really, it was such a delicate situation that one wrong word, one wrong innuendo, mm -hmm could have really thrown it all off kilter. All of these guys were very, very nervous up there. And, and in a way, it was good that you had designated questioners because they didn't all 
uh, get a chance to interrogate her. It was a delicate situation for another reason, and that is it was 14 male members right. of the Senate putting questions to one female. And they were nervous about it. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. Our archive broadcasts are located at our website, which is publicmorality.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, which can be found on iTunes. My weekly column can be found in the Sunday edition of the Winston-Salem Journal, as well as Politics NC. That's Politics, North Carolina. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Rally, I'm Byron Williams. Mm-hmm.